G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A conversation you might want to lean in a little closer to the radio over this next hour to catch some of the finer points we'll talk about. Our special guest today says, A generation without familiarity with the Bible and its impact on culture has lost the definition, meaning and intent of the words used to speak meaningfully to one another. Well, you've just got to think that through, haven't you? Our conversation today will be about the Bible's transforming influence on everything that our modern world cherishes. The Bible empowered ordinary people who challenged the might of great empires and turned tiny nations into economic superpowers. It delivered tribes and cultures from superstition and gave them the courage and confidence to reshape the world. At the root of this revolution was the acknowledgement of God's revelation as the only reliable guide to build our lives and nations on. Western nations abolished slavery, criminalized racial discrimination and ended colonial oppression. These nations were founded on truths that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, including liberty. Well, our special guest over the coming hour is a prolific author described as Christianity's most able global thinker. He brings evidence and arguments that the modern world is inconceivable without the Bible. Vishal Mangalwadi is an Indian philosopher and social reformer. His latest book is called The Book, This Book Changed Everything, The Bible's Amazing Impact on Our World. And he's joining us from the United States this morning. Vishal Mangalwadi, a special welcome back to 2020. Very much, Neil. It's wonderful to be speaking in Australia from Central California. Vishal, I've said this is your latest book. It was released last year, and you probably have another one or two on the boil. I know that this one even is just a part of a series of books about the sorts of topics we're going to talk about today. Give us a little bit of context here as to where this one fits, perhaps with your first book that made big ripples around around the world, the book that made your world. Where does this one fit in? Uh, This is continuation. There were many topics that I could not take in the first book about how the Bible had created the soul of Western civilization. So many of the topics, take for example law, uh, uh, which was not there in the first book. Uh, I talked about um, uh, technology, particularly medieval technology, that the Bible created, but I didn't talk about how modern industrial uh, economy was created by the Bible. So uh, those topics which were not covered uh, at all in the first book are now covered in the second book. But uh, the challenge, if the Bible created the modern world, 
then the subject requires a whole series of books. Well, Vishal, a lot of your focus, of course, is going to be on the United States. Now, the interesting thing here, and I'm I'm sure you get asked about this, uh, what does an Indian know about Western civilization, and especially as you focus on the West, and especially the United States, and I know you talk a lot about Europe too, but here you are, an Indian philosopher. And uh, there is something special about that because uh, you're looking into the goldfish bowl of Western society and bringing your impressions, which have been in your earlier years, no doubt shaped by uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, those uh, religious foundations of India. Give us some impression here about what it is that's, uh, that's given you this ability to be able to look at the West and make your own analysis of it. Thank you. Actually, this book is focused on Europe, particularly Switzerland, because 2019, when the book was published, was the 500th anniversary of Swiss Reformation. So the book begins and ends with what was happening in Switzerland. It leaves Calvin's Geneva out, more or less, because Calvin didn't get to Geneva until 1536. But 1519 is when in Zurich, uh, Zwingli began Swiss Reformation. So, uh, but the other volumes in this series include a volume on, on how the Bible created modern India, uh, one on how the Bible created modern Korea, South Korea, but also uh, much of North Korea uh, before communism destroyed everything. There is another volume on Africa. So, uh, but then there is a whole volume on uh, coming on the Bible and its critics. Why do philosophers, theologians, historians, archaeologists reject the Bible as truth? And what is the validity of their claim? Uh, so uh, the different volumes are actually looking at it. In it. I have a small booklet on the Bible's impact on India and three or four major books on what the Bible did for India. That's actually how I began my research. Uh, but uh, now I'm working with a group of scholars within India and these other countries uh, to study the Bibles, uh, uh, the, the, how the Bible created modern India. But right now I have two other volumes that will be ready for the press in the next two, three weeks. One is on the Bible's impact on education but this is not just history. This is to shape the future of education. The book is called The Third Education Revolution. Uh, and the other is a book on healing for the open wounds of Islam. So those books should be ready for the press in the next two, three weeks. Well, I know that listeners will pick up something here, that when you've got someone who has an ability to think through the issues of context, when we're talking about world history, when we're talking about cultures, and not just refined to one culture, but all of these different global cultures, and an ability to be able to speak into those contexts and recognize what the Bible has done to build those contexts, this is very powerful. And of course, let's come to how we might 
get a conversation like this well and truly underway, and that is when we're talking about Western civilization, Western culture, a lot of people will say it goes way back beyond those Reformation times, Vishal, uh, right back to uh, the Greeks and the Romans. And, of course, yes, the Jews and the Christians, but uh, give us your impression here about how we think about uh, what we're talking about when we discuss Western culture. Well, uh, this is where America has deceived the world, American universities, in saying that modern freedom or democracy came from Greece. Uh, it, it, only political system that Greece ever exported was imperialism through Alexander the Great, which Romans took over. You had Roman imperialism. And as a result of that, all of the European imperial powers, Spain, uh, Portugal, France, Germany, uh, England, Britain, Sweden, Austro-Hungarian Empire, uh, Russian Empire, everybody in America wanted empire. The idea of nation and great nation came with the Bible. Paul brought it to Greece, uh, speaking to Athenians in Acts 26, uh, uh, Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, Paul says that from one man, God created all the nations. He set their boundaries. Uh, the imp Greek imperialism, Roman imperialism, it didn't respect any boundaries. So the idea of nation was introduced by Paul, but only after the Reformation, when the Europeans started studying the Bible, then the Dutch were the first who fought 80 years of war against the Holy Roman Empire, which was neither holy nor Roman, to become a free sovereign nation. So Europe accepted the biblical idea of national sovereignty, of sovereign independent nations. Only in 1648, uh, Holland and Switzerland were the first two nations they inspired United States of America not to become an empire, but to become a nation. And it was then through America, actually, uh, that the modern concept of nation spread. So Australia uh, had actually been given by the British crown the right to become an independent nation through Westminster statutes. That was, I think, 1932. But only in 1939, uh, when Australia des decided to f uh, enter the S Second World War as a sovereign nation, uh, the parliament passed a backdated resolution uh, claiming itself to be an independent sovereign nation. Otherwise, Australia was part of British Empire. But that imperialism was destroyed by America and I have in this book, uh, the, uh, the book that we are reviewing, this book changed everything, a whole chapter on four major political ideas that are discussed in the Bible. One is empire, second is nation, third great nations, and fourth the kingdom of God. How do these great political ideas relate with each other? And how did uh, America and Australia and England became nations and great nations. So that, that, there's a whole chapter there and how it all of it relates to European Union and uh, uh, United Nations, etc. Uh, those are issues that are not discussed in the first book, but they're discussed in this new book. 
Those are fascinating concepts. And given that we're talking to an Australian audience today, uh, Vishal, uh, this idea that uh, amongst all the nations, you've got Australia uh, having the right to become an independent nation. Now, we don't often connect that with the idea that the concept of nation comes from the Bible. And we might have the Dutch to thank for uh, a war that brought about their sovereignty as a nation, but that has flowed onto us. So we have a direct biblical influence in the fact that here in Australia, we are called a nation. Correct. And uh, uh, we have to uh, realize that uh, this is how the Bible created the modern world in destroying the pagan idea of imperialism, which in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the the word that is used is Babylon, Babel. Uh, That was an imperial city in Genesis 11 that God destroys. Uh, But as you keep reading through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, they're all talking about Babylon, uh, but it culminates in uh, Revelation 18 when Babylon, the idea of imperialism, is destroyed and God creates nations and he, that's in Genesis 10 and 11. In Genesis 12, he calls Abraham, you follow me and I will make you a great nation. And that's the theme that continues through the Bible right up to Revelation 22, that the leaves of the tree in New Jerusalem are for the healing of the nations. Uh, So the book of Revelation uses the word nation and nations about uh, uh, 31 times or so. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020. On Vision Christian Radio. Our special guest this hour is Vishal Mangalwadi, an Indian philosopher and social reformer. He is a prolific author and such depth, such insight. His latest book is called This Book Changed Everything, The Bible's Amazing Impact on Our World. Uh, Vishal, let's talk about another one of these very, very important issues. We discussed nation being a biblical concept. Let's talk about fatherhood being a biblical concept. What are your thoughts around fatherhood? Uh, the book concludes with uh, uh, an incident that happened in Oregon, USA, where a, a single mom stabbed her son multiple times with a steak knife. Six-year-old boy ran to the uh, uh, next-door house, bleeding all over, saying, my mother is trying to kill me. The police came. The mother was lying down in bed, blood all over her, with her 14-month-old baby. Uh, What's going on? The mother said that the boy deserved it. Now, I checked a number of news reports about the horrible incident. None of the news reporters mentioned the word father. Who was the father? Where was he? Did the two children have two fathers or one father? Did they know who their father was? Did the mother know who the father was? What is a father? Well, father is a male who makes a female pregnant. Is he responsible for caring for the pregnant woman? Is he responsible for caring for that child? child, Did the child deserve this knife stabbing? 
or did he need a father who would discipline him? Uh, maybe all that the child was saying through the, all the tantrums that he was throwing up is that you are all the time lying down with that for my sibling, 14-month-old sibling. Uh, what about me? I also need a cuddle. I also need a kiss. I need some chocolate or some ice cream or some fun. Uh, but the mother probably hadn't had a proper night of sleep for 14 months since she had delivered the baby. So uh, she needed a father. She, she needed a husband. The idea that we are apes, or monkeys evolved. Well, monkeys don't marry, they mate. We marry, which makes sex sacred. Uh, a means of building relationship between a man and a woman who produce children and then nurture children. This idea comes from the Bible when Jesus asks us to pray, our Father in heaven. God is the Father. He is the initiator of life. He takes care of us. Give us this day our daily bread. Or a six-year-old boy can say, give me today chocolate or an ice cream or something like that. Is he responsible? Maybe the mother was living on food coupons and she had run out of those coupons and she couldn't get an ice cream for him. Uh, whatever the issue was, uh, <clears throat> deliver us from evil, the Lord's Prayer says. Is there a father who is going to bring discipline in the life of the son? Uh, that he will behave and respect his mother and honor him, obey his mother, etc. So the idea of what a father is, uh, let's say, is captured by Rembrandt in his painting of the return of the prodigal uh, to the father. Now, the woman may have look, looked at a replica of that painting, a photograph, uh, but if she doesn't know the Bible, she doesn't know what a father is as described by Jesus, either in the Lord's Prayer or in the parable of the prodigal son. So the whole ideal in, in English language, the word father comes from the Bible and is to be understood biblically, not biologically, that father is a male who makes a female pregnant, doesn't care for the female. He goes while she is pregnant. He goes off uh, after looking after other females. Uh, that's the paganization of Western culture that is destroying the family and the very foundation of Western progress and success. So when we talk about our nation of Australia, and oftentimes people will say uh, the land of the absent father, and I know that listeners will have their own uh, insights, their own relationships and uh, broader family that's gone through some breakdowns and fathers oftentimes at the centre of that. But when we come back to an original foundation here, Western nations adopting a biblical concept of father, when that is adopted by a nation, it passes down through the individual. So the understanding of fatherhood has a unique foundation. And you're saying that it's the Bible, Vishal. Yes. Without the Bible, uh, you, you cannot define what a father is except as a male who makes a female pregnant. 
uh, but whether he is supposed to be caring, responsible, nurturing. See, the purpose of human sexuality itself, we cannot learn from sex itself. What, human sexuality is different from animals because when God brings Eve to Adam, he says be fruitful. The two should become one flesh in a permanent exclusive union. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, establish your dominion over the earth. So the primitive, the uh, Stone Age cultures, they didn't use sex to build families which nurture children, educate children, to establish their dominion over uh, the environment. But this biblical idea that the purpose of sex is to make us sovereign, make us rulers, um, uh, through via the fa family, via education of the children, nurturing of the children. So this whole idea of what is sex all about, if it is to be defined by Darwinian terms or through Sigmund Freud, who influenced Kinsey Report and then eventually the Playboy Empire, which says that sex is for pleasure. S uh, sex is not to a means of building a human dominion over the earth, then you actually are destroying the very foundation because if you're looking at human sexuality as same as animal sexuality, uh, you are reducing man to an animal. But the reality is that the idea of marriage, which is still part of Western civilization, that uh, marriage is using sex to build a love relationship which is a stable context for nurturing children. This is not is an, a natural idea. Christian marriage is a supernatural idea and it requires supernatural grace. Love is a fruit of the spirit. It's not chemistry. Uh, so to love a woman who might be irritating you or for a woman to love a man who might be irritating, repulsive. Today you love him, you make love to him. Tomorrow you hate him and you get rid of him. Uh, but what you need is a supernatural fruit of the spirit. So to understand that uh, this is where Freud and uh, Kinsey report and uh, the whole secular view of sexuality has gone wrong is that sex if flesh is to be subject to the spirit. We are spiritual beings. We are to live by the spirit, not according to the flesh. So I'm attracted to my neighbor's wife because she never asked me to mop floors or change dirty nappies. Um, so uh, because I'm attracted to my neighbor's wife, she works with me in my office, uh, brings cakes and cookies, and I can talk to her about President Trump and stock market. Uh, should I uh, love her? and hate my wife who is difficult and asking me to switch off television, teach math to my uh, son or grandson, etc. Uh, I need grace. I need the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if Christianity goes, the Christian idea of marriage has to go. So the problem of uh, fatherless families in America, which will destroy the economy and politics and society, is really very simple that uh, is sex to be subject to the spirit or are we to live according to the flesh? 
Uh, Vishal, we've talked through some really important issues, uh, talking about nations, talking about fathers, and the way we understand those things, having come from the Bible and our understanding of nation and father from the Bible. Let's deepen this here a little uh, and talk about uh, the way we might think about uh, human rights, uh, freedoms, those sorts of things that are deeply uh, troublesome for lots of people around the world today. How do we think of human rights as something that is uh, founded in the Bible? Uh, One of my fights, the national fight in India, was over widow burning. In September 1987, an 18-year-old widow who had been married for three, four years was burnt alive on her husband's funeral pyre. And Hindus in great numbers, 200,000, were protesting, demanding that the British had abolished widow burning. This is our sacred tradition and it should be revived now that the British are gone. So does a woman exist for her husband? When he is dead, she should follow him in the next life and serve him there. Uh, This widow burning called Sati was very much part of India. And that, uh, I researched that, published it, that shook up the nation Uh, because my report was published by the largest newspaper chain in India and began a movement. Uh, But now we, uh, just recently I wrote a post about Pandit Ramabai, uh, who was a high caste Hindu widow herself and became a Christian and wrote uh, one of the first Indian women to publish in English in America Her book was called A High Caste Hindu Woman. One of the most moving chapter was about high caste Hindu widows. She was a widow and it uh, began a a movement in India uh, for widows because once the British banned widow burning in 1829, it created umpteen problems for widows because they were not wanted. So what children will often do, adult children, will take their old mother to holy rivers, banks of holy rivers, to Hindu festivals, and leave them there to become prostitutes, beg or die, starve to death. Now, this is what is happening in the West. I was in Western Canada uh, some time ago, and two Canadian gentlemen who used to go and visit uh, elderly people in old people's homes, they were sharing with me that Indian businessmen are running old people's homes where uh, Caucasian Canadians who do not want their elderly parents in the home because they are difficult, they leave them there and these Indian businessmen extract the last penny from these men and women who are in those homes because they don't remember if they paid for a bottle of water yesterday or they didn't pay. So the the money is extracted and then those people are killed. Uh, All that you have to do to kill those uh, elderly people is just put pillow on their faces, keep it there so that they suffocate to death and the room becomes available for the next customer. So uh, if parents have the right to 
kill their baby, pre-born baby, a newborn baby, a full nine months uh, mature uh, baby in the womb. If parents have the right to kill their babies, do, do children have the right to kill their parents? Or is right to life a God-given right which comes from God's command, you shall not kill neither your babies nor your elderly parents. But the West having lost the idea that God commanded you shall not kill, the right to life is gone in culture. Of course, abortion is already legal. Killing elderly parents should also be legal. Even if it is not legal, children will kill their parents. Uh, this is what used to happen, still happens in India. That is Deepa Mehta's film, Water, if you want to see the plight of the widows. But let me take a moment to uh, a burning issue in America today, the right to property. When God says you shall not covet your neighbor's property, it gives, it, it means that you must create your own property, not covet and not steal. So you shall not steal gives the right to prop property to individuals, what you inherit, what you create, is yours. Now, if God has given no such command, then what's happening in America today? Uh, you hear about a lot of the protests. What you probably don't hear in Australia is that here in California, the police have decided that if someone goes into a shop and steals up to $900 worth of goods, uh, that person will not be arrested or tried. No criminal charges will be filed. So uh, every single major shop is either broken into or now that you don't need to break in, you just take the shopping cart, go into a Walgreen or Walmart, fill up up to $900 worth of good, walk out, the cashier, the manager can do nothing. But people are breaking into cars, taking $900 worth of goods under $900, they will not be arrested. Why? Because the American universities have been teaching that anyone who creates wealth, the manufacturer, the distributor, the service person, the insurance person, anyone who is creating wealth is looting the poor. That's capitalism. Capitalism is extortion, is loot. Therefore, wealth belongs to the poor. The poor should be able to take it back. So now you have politicians who call themselves socialists. They're saying to the looters, you please don't loot uh, because you will get into trouble. The wealthy capitalists fund the police and uh, they own the law enforcement system mechanism. You will get into trouble. You elect us. You vote for us. We will become rulers. We will do the looting for you. We will tax anybody who creates wealth and accumulates wealth and we will give you a monthly check, even if you decide to sit on your couch, drink, smoke marijuana, watch uh, television, uh, meaningless serials and sports. Uh, we will do the looting for you. You vote for us because the wealth that has been created by all the capitalists belongs to the poor. So the right to property that what you create, what you inherit, you own, tax is not looting. 
Uh, so, so the foundations of it's, it's a little bit like a legal a legal way of looting. Let me just uh, summarize where you've been uh, moving here. Uh, Vishal, uh, we started there talking about uh, widow burning, and that's a, a an issue that had uh, really taken hold in India. And uh, an issue there, if you take that on to whether that will be a change in Western nations, the idea is certainly of women becoming exploited. Uh, the idea that women could be killed when they're no longer useful, uh, no longer valuable. Uh, we talked through those issues of rights to property, and of course we're connecting that to a biblical understanding, thou shalt not steal. And if you get rid of that idea, then you've got not only individual looting, but as you're saying, it can happen in a systemic way when a government decides that it will take a hold of the private property that you have earned and own and redistribute that and that comes under this sort of heading that we're talking about here called socialism. Now I know that you say that socialism has become popular in this day and age because of a moving away from a biblical understanding of some of these definitions. Is this something we're likely to see even more on the rise in Western nations? Uh, absolutely, because when you have uh, no word from the Lord that you shall not covet, but you shall create your own wealth. See, when America became independent, free, uh, George Washington, the first president, during, he was only one term president. And during that one term, there are at least 48 recorded uh, statements, the formal uh, prayers, addresses, writings that he wrote as president, in which he alludes to a phrase everyone sitting under their own wine and fig tree. That was a very important motive that everyone will sit under his own wine and fig tree with no one to make them afraid and they will invite their neighbors. So number of prophets, historical books, etc. use that phrase uh, affirming that the meaning of freedom, the Jews were in Egypt creating wealth for Pharaoh now they will have their own land. They will create wealth for themselves and their children, enjoy it, share it with their neighbors, and leave, the, uh, leave it for the poor as well, take care of the poor and the alien. But that, that was the reason why George Washington is saying that we were fighting against British imperialism because we don't want London to be taking the wealth that Americans create in North America. And uh, that's what the idea of inalienable right to property, to pursuit of happiness, created the success of American society. And that is why American universities have destroyed in the name of socialism. Okay, and we have that right here in Australia too, something we have inherited uh, not only from the British but also in the formation of our own constitution from the Americans as well. So private property ownership is a Bible idea. Uh, let me come back to, because we're going to run short of time if I don't uh, move into the reason why these things are important, uh, the way that we interpret and define words. Uh, and the Bible that became so well established, uh, especially since uh, post-Reformation times in Europe, 
words became important for shaping the way that cultures developed because everybody understood the definition of the words. Uh, Give us some insights here and perhaps tie this into where we're headed at this time, uh, Vishal, because if we're losing those biblical definition of these words we're talking about today, we're in for a chaotic future. Uh, Talk to us about words. Absolutely. A logos-centric worldview, the idea that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word created everything, the Word sustains everything, Uh, this high view of language, which is logical arrangement of sounds, of words, of ideas, that in the beginning was reason, sense, wisdom, Suppose there is no God in the beginning, there is no Logos in the beginning, no word in the beginning, then what is language? Language then becomes animal sounds that evolved in the jungles of Sudan and Ethiopia when apes were yelling at each other uh, and uh, the meanings began to be attached to those meaningless sounds. So language is... Uh, in the uh, biological interpretation of what is language, uh, it is animal sounds that we use to manipulate each other, frighten each other, bully each other, get our will done. It's not a means of communicating truth, of building each other, of loving each other, that if God existed as Trinity, before the creation of the world, talking to each other, let's make man in our image, uh, etc., and let them rule over all that we have created, uh, give our authority. So God makes us in his image with the gift of language to relate. If you, when you fall in love with someone, you spend a lot of time talking because that is how you build your relationship. Sex is one means of building love relationship. Words and language is another means, particularly as you're building your relationship with your children. More time fathers and mothers spend talking to their children. Uh, The children learn and grow and are built up. So uh, Western civilization was a civilization built on the idea that the word language was divine. Language reveals... I, you had a dream last night. Can I know what you dreamt? No. Your spirit knows your thoughts. If you reveal them to me in your words, I can know what you dreamt. So, uh, Spirit of God knows the truth about God. He reveals truth in words because he made us in his image as people who uh, speak, who have language. And therefore, we are creative. Language is creative, literature is creative, primitive cultures are those that do not have written language, that do not have great language. A great civilization is one 
which has great literature and great language. So we start with the words, and the words become our literature. So you could actually do an assessment as to how a nation is faring by looking at the sort of literature people are reading, uh, even the sort of music people are listening to. Uh, Those sorts of things that are shaped by our words become very important. Now, Vishal, I'm often encouraging listeners and uh, various guests I have on this program, encouraging listeners to read the Bible. Some people have said, oh, read the Bible. What what am I looking for? Uh, I wonder whether you've got an insight here. When you're reading the Bible, are you looking for the big concepts, the sorts of things we're talking about today, perhaps starting with uh, even the Ten Commandments, uh, getting something of the heart of God? Uh, Because these sorts of things, as you're explaining to us, are the foundations for Western civilization, for what has given to us prosperity and freedom. So when we talk about read the Bible uh, and uh, and people say, I'm not sure what I'm looking for, are these the sorts of big concepts we ought to be looking for? Uh, Yes, but also everyday issues. Like on my latest Facebooks, I've been quarreling with some friends uh, who want us to be afraid of COVID-19. Should we fear or should we fear not? Establish our dominion over nature, including our virus. So should should we fear? For every day, uh, the Bible teaches us not to fear. Anybody who fears something or someone has very good reasons to be afraid. But fear not has greater and higher reasons. Why not to fear, particularly if your father is with you, if you are taking shelter under his wings, as a chick would uh, take shelter under a a chicken, uh, etc. Is he your rock? Is he your shelter? Is he your refuge? So the Bible is not just about great philosophical idea, but it is a personal relationship with a living God. And that is what why you're reading his word, because it has to become a living word for you. Yes, it must shape your worldview, your philosophy, what you think of language, what you think of human being, what you think of opposite sex, what you think of marriage and family and children. But in your daily life, there are plenty of reasons why, why you want to hate your neighbor and why you want to love his wife. But instead of loving his wife to love your own wife, that requires the word of God which and the spirit of God. So the word of God needs to be meditated upon day and night because this is the way to keep away from sin, save yourself from Satan's deception and slavery. Well, I'll often encourage listeners to buy the books of guests that I'm interviewing And uh, today is no different to that. In fact, today, a special encouragement to get a hold of Vishal Mangalwadi's books. Uh, I'm an owner of three of his books, including this latest one that we're talking about today called This Book Changed Everything, The Bible's Amazing Impact on Our World. Uh, Because as we read the Bible... Uh, we understand that there are deeper concepts and that there are definitions that God has revealed to us. 
And those things can be powerful in the way that they shape our understanding. If we lose our understanding, of course, uh, we're headed for, as we've said uh, earlier, headed for chaos. And the Facebook question I asked today of listeners, if our concept of fatherhood, of nations and human rights comes from the Bible, where are we heading as Western nations reject this book? You might be wondering, like Mark who responded on our Facebook post today and said, we're heading for judgment. Uh, You might be thinking, how are we heading towards judgment? How are we heading towards chaos? Uh, I'd encourage you to re-listen to our conversation and uh, hear the podcast again later today of our conversation with Vishal Mangalwadi. I encourage you to get a hold of his books. Uh, The one that really captured my imagination some years back was one called The Book That Made Your World, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. I also have a book of his called Truth and Transformation. And this latest book is called This Book Changed Everything, The Bible's Amazing Impact on Our World. Now, Vishal has written many books. And uh, for those who are interested in cross-cultural issues, uh, lots of books too about India and the way that the Bible has shaped uh, India's philosophy and politics as well. So you can still continue to respond to that question we have on Facebook today. In fact, I'd encourage you to engage with other listeners. If our concept of fatherhood, nations and human rights comes from the Bible, where are we heading as Western nations reject this book? Uh, Vishal Mangalwadi, uh, just a tremendous pleasure and a real privilege to be able to have you back on today. And uh, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with uh, our Australian listeners. Thank you very much. I'm honoured. God bless Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.